Our scripture reading this evening is from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 45. Begin reading at verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. This is the time when, when Joseph is in Egypt and his brothers have come down for food. Uh, at first they, they did not recognize Joseph uh, and then Joseph uh, takes the initiative and reveals himself to them. Genesis 45 and verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says Joseph, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and, and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say 
do, you, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey to each And all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. And ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for they did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him, into Egypt. Amen. So reads God's holy word. Well, turn with me again to, to Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 46. Our text this evening uh, will be the opening verses of uh, this, this chapter. A sermon that I've entitled, The Journey of Faith. Now, the Christian life has indeed been compared to a journey. You enter life when you're born, and you enter the Christian life when you're born again. It's then that the journey of faith begins. Now, along the roadway of life, there are are milestones, various markers reminding us that time is passing. Your birthday is, in fact, such a reminder. 
Your spiritual birthday is another marker. That is, if you can pinpoint a date. Many people brought up in the Christian church and in a Christian home cannot be precise about the exact date of their conversion, the exact date when they were born again. But they do know and probably can recite to you when they publicly profess faith in Jesus Christ before the elders of the church and before the congregation of God's people. I was looking back recently uh, to the, the, the time when I publicly professed faith, and it happened to be uh, October uh, 1965, the 25th of that month. So in a sense that marks uh, as a, a big marker in my life when I, I, I told the church and the world that I belonged to Christ and that I would serve him. For people who have been ordained into office in the Christian church, that date is another milestone. And for me, the 13th of October will always be a significant marker in my life, since it was on that date in 1976 that I was ordained to the Christian ministry. And the end of one year and the beginning of another is a significant time in our lives another marker in the journey of faith. The Christian life, we must recognize, first and foremost, is a journey of faith. On a car journey, it is not wise. It is not wise to proceed if you cannot see clearly the way ahead. In fact, it would be extremely foolish to drive by faith through a blizzard, or through a dense fog, or with no headlights on a dark night. But that's what the Christian life is all about. We live by faith and not by sight. As Habakkuk declared and Paul said to the Romans, the just shall live by faith. Each day of our lives is a walk of faith. The long list of heroes and heroines in Hebrews 11 were men and women who lived by faith. And we are called to do the same. Now no one ever said it would be easy. Jesus told all would-be followers to first of all count the cost. Being a Christian, yes, is not easy, but it is a blessed life. It's a long list of Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 inform us. Just to quote a few, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Christian life may not be an easy life. We will encounter hardships, but in and through them all, we have God to guide us. And there's nothing to compare with the excitement of being led by the infinite sovereign God that inhabits eternity. Being led by God step by step along the way in fulfillment of his glorious purpose for our existence. We see this in practice in, in God's word. 
For example, in the book of Genesis, we see God leading Abraham, God leading Isaac, God leading uh, Jacob, God leading his covenant people. Often we observe these men being led along a path that at times took unexpected twists and turns, a path that must have been truly perplexing for these servants of God. Nevertheless, they persevered, trusting him who is invisible. Tonight we will look at a stage in Jacob's life recorded in Genesis 46, 1-4. And as we view this period of redemptive history from the vantage point of December 2023, we see how God in his wisdom was leading his servants, how he was guiding his covenant people. And I believe this will be of help to you and me as we sit here on the threshold of a new year. 2024 is uncharted territory for all of us. Now Jacob, as an old man, has just received a call from Joseph to go down to Egypt. He's 130 years old. Death can be far away as, as he reckons things, so, so what should he do? Well, let's first of all see the reality of God's guidance. The reality of God's guidance. Jacob had received this invitation from Joseph to go down to Egypt. It was very appealing. It seemed the right thing to do. After all, that was where his beloved son Joseph lived. If he was ever to see Joseph again, he must, of necessity, go down to Egypt. And in famine conditions, which according to Joseph were to, to last another five years, Egypt was the place to be. For there was corn in Egypt. Jacob, or Israel as he is often called in the narrative, embarked on this journey with his whole family. They set off from where they were living at that point in Hebron. They made the journey south uh, to Egypt. The text tells us that, that Jacob was fearful about, about this journey. And we can understand why. It was in Egypt that his grandfather Abraham had sinned in lying about, about his wife Sarah, passing her off as a sister and nearly losing her to the pagan king Abimelech. And then during famine conditions, his father Isaac had been specifically forbidden by God to go down to Egypt. Genesis 26 verse 2, and The Lord appeared to him, to Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. And as well as that, all the covenant promises related to the land of Canaan. So was, was Jacob doing the right thing? Going down to Egypt with all his family. Yes, from the human perspective, it appeared it was the only thing to do. To join up with Joseph. To go where there were abundant supplies of food. But was it the will of God? Well, after leaving Hebron and travelling south for 25 miles to the southern extremity of Canaan, Jacob and his family stopped for the night. 
It was at Beersheba. Now, Beersheba was a place of great spiritual significance for God's covenant people. For Abraham had been there, and, and Isaac had been there, and previously Jacob had been there. And, and every time they were at Bathsheba, Bathsheba, they, 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 Beersheba, they worshipped God. And we see Jacob here doing the same through sacrifice. Verse 1, he draws near to God. Just as we draw near to God through the merits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. So what was he thinking about? Well, as he appears before God, he does so with all his doubts and fears. He was about to leave. He was on the border. He was about to leave the land of promise. Was he doing the right thing? Was he fulfilling the will of God? Well, God knows all our thoughts. He goes every word before we even utter it. The sovereign God of all eternity drew near to Jacob. And wonderfully, gloriously, we see him meeting Jacob at the point of his need. And God revealed his will and purpose for him at this time. Verses 2, 3 and 4. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid. Yes, he was afraid. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So God dispelled Jacob's fears. Yes, yes, it was the right time to leave Canaan. Yes, it was in God's plan for him to go and live in Egypt. And God had not forgotten his covenant promise. Verse 4 again, I myself will go down with you to, to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. Bring you up again to Canaan. God's guidance to Jacob was real and personal. God was saying to Jacob, this is the way, walk in it. And for each of us on the Christian journey, God's guidance is just as real. It is just as personal as it was in the days of Jacob. Yes, the method has changed. We are now living in the age of completed revelation. And so God doesn't speak to us today in visions. God speaks principally, primarily through his word. So we are called to read the word. We're called to search the scriptures. We're called to meditate on God's word. We're called to, to pray as we read that God will reveal his will through the word. That his word indeed would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And often indeed it is. Now I say God principally reveals his, his will through his word. But he also guides through providence. His providential dealings with us. For example you may apply for two jobs. Both of which seem suitable for you as a Christian. If you're offered one and not the other. You accept that as God's guidance. 
If you're offered both, then turn to Christian friends. Out on their advice, take one job and not the other because God guides three trusted friends as well. And if you're offered neither job, again, that is God guiding you in providence, that you must wait, that you must be patient, that God has something else in mind for you. How precious and how comforting to know that we are not just drifting through life, a product of cruel fate or the personal whims of mere men. No, friends, our times are in God's hands. God who assures his people by his word. For example, Isaiah 58 and verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually, not just now and again, but his hand will be upon you always. What a promise to take into 2024. And then the psalm that we were just singing, Psalm 32 verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And so Jacob must have continued on his journey, greatly reassured that he was doing the right thing, the reality of God's guidance. And as you continue on the journey of your life of faith, always remember the counsel of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not simply depend on your wits. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He will direct your ways. The reality of God's guidance. Then secondly, the wisdom of God's guidance. The wisdom of God's guidance. Although Jacob knew that he was right to take his family and possessions and settle in Egypt, he could not have been aware of all the reasons. Yes, he could understand the blessing of spending the rest of his life beside his beloved son Joseph. Yes, he could understand the blessing of food being supplied for him and and his family during those terrible times of famine. But why remain in Egypt until nationhood was achieved. For for God had said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. At that time there were merely 70 in number. From 70 to nationhood seemed a very long time. But that was God's plan. Whether Jacob understood the wisdom of God's purpose We don't know, but looking back, it is now very clear for us to see. Left in Canaan, this small family, humanly speaking, would quickly have become assimilated into Canaanite ways and into Canaanite worship. They would not only have lost their separate identity, but they would have lost their relationship with God. The evidence of this tendency is in sharp focus in Genesis chapter 38, where Judah's Canaanite connections were very detrimental to his spiritual life. He had married a Canaanite. 
And after that marriage, his spiritual life went into a downward spiral, became guilty of incest with his daughter-in-law, and so on and so forth. So it's all beginning to become a mess. And then the plan was unfolded about going down to Egypt. And some might object by saying, well, was there not even greater danger in Egypt? Was Egypt not even more polytheistic with its many gods and its many idols? Well, true, Egypt had a multitude of gods. True, Egypt was extremely idolatrous. But God in his providence ensured that intermingling with the Egyptians would be minimal. When the time came for a place to be allotted uh, for, for Jacob and his family, well then, <coughs> Joseph informed his family that they should tell Pharaoh of their occupation. And on hearing that they looked after sheep, they would be given a special place, a separate place to live from the Egyptians. Because Joseph knew this would happen because the Egyptians found shepherds detestable. The brothers were instructed to say to Pharaoh, chapter 46 and verse 34, your brothers have been keeper of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers. And then Joseph gives the reason why they were to say this to Pharaoh. Verse 34, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. <clears throat> Henry Morris comments, <clears throat> the Egyptians felt themselves racially superior and were reluctant to mix or intermarry with foreigners, especially shepherds. Although the Hebrews would benefit immensely from the intellectual advances of the Egyptians because that was the, the number one nation in the world. Their own identity in Goshen would be preserved as God's covenant people. As one writer has put it, there was no place in the entire world better suited to bring the covenant people to nationhood than Egypt. And here we see the wisdom of God's purpose. That you may often be baffled at the direction your life has taken or the circumstances you're in at present. But remember, remember that the all-wise God who directed the Hebrews to Egypt to achieve nationhood in spiritually safe surroundings is the same God who is working out all things for your good and his glory. Now Jacob may have often wondered as he sat in Goshen, he lived for another 17 years, he may have often thought, how will God ever get my descendants extricated from this, this pleasant land? Nevertheless, even though he may have had those thoughts, this man of faith, he never doubted that God would fulfill his purpose and that God would fulfill his promise. We see this faith expressed in a remark he made to Joseph years later. Chapter 48, verse 21. Then Israel Jacob said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, 
But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. God had said it and he would do it. The faithfulness of God. The all-prevailing wisdom of God's plan. You may be tempted to to grumble when God seems to to lead you into a cul-de-sac. But don't succumb to that temptation. For whatever the cul-de-sac is, be it illness or unemployment or bereavement or singleness or a financial setback, It is all part of God's plan. All part of God's plan and the fulfilment of his gracious purpose for your life. The reality of God's guidance, the wisdom of God's plan, and now thirdly, the greatness of God's purpose. The greatness of God's purpose. Always bear in mind that God's plans are infinitely greater than our petty schemes. The familiar verses in Isaiah 55 remind us of that, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jacob set out for Egypt to see his son Joseph and get some food. On the way, God revealed his greater plan. There, in Egypt, I will make you into a great nation. The ultimate purpose of preserving Abraham's descendants was to fulfill God's covenant promises to Abraham. Because... God had said to Abram in promise, Genesis 12, verse 2, Abram, I will make of you a great nation. That time he was childless. And then he had only one child of promise. How would that ever come about? But that nation would be formed in Egypt. And after 400 years, God would bring that nation out of Egypt by his almighty power to occupy their own land and have their own rulers. And God also had said to Abraham in the covenant promise, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it was from the seed of Abraham, from the seed of Judah, that Jesus Christ was born. And through him, families here in Trinity And families all over the earth have been blessed with salvation and with the hope of glory. God had his great purpose in view in authorising Jacob to go down to Egypt. And as you work in God's service at your calling, as Christ witness on the earth, never forget God's great purpose for you. Not nationhood, but Christ-likeness. Think of what Paul said to the Galatians. Galatians 4 verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. His great ambition 
for all his spiritual children was that they would develop the likeness of Christ increasingly through the sanctifying work of word and spirit. And friends, God is chiseling away at you by his word and spirit, day and daily, week in and week out, until you bear the image of his own dear son. God is working on you through the providential, his providential dealings with you to make you more like Christ. At the base of a, a great cathedral, uh, a visitor observed the stonemason chiseling away uh, at a stone, uh, making it into a certain shape. And he asked him, well, what are you pouring out all this energy into this stone for? And he said, well, it's like this. I'm, I'm chiseling away down here at this stone so that it will fit in up there at the very apex of the cathedral. And so God is chiseling at you and me down here so that we will fit in up there in heaven with all his people. Of course, you must remember that Jesus Christ will never be formed in you, that you will never bear the image of the, the Savior, that you will never develop the likeness of Christ unless you're in Christ, unless you're born again, unless you've been saved by God's grace. Now, in this congregation, it would be presumptuous of me to think that everyone is a believer. I know that many of you are. But if you're still a non-believer sitting here this evening, may God, by his Spirit, search you out. God, may God, by his Spirit, convict you of the guilt of all your sin. May God reveal to you that the only avenue of rescue is Jesus Christ and lead you to him, make you to flee to him for mercy and forgiveness and pardon, that you may be, become one of his children, that you may become united to Christ by faith, that you may begin the journey of faith in the excitement that God is leading you day by day and hour by hour, so that, indeed, you will have the, the hope of glory firmly planted in your heart. It is then as a sinner saved by grace and united to Christ that you won't forget God's ultimate purpose for your life to grow up in Christ, to flourish in Christ, to bear fruit for Him, to be good citizens of the kingdom of God on earth, so that you may be perfect citizens of the kingdom of God in heaven. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come. Let that prayer be prayed passionately by each one of us. That his kingdom would come in our hearts. And that his kingdom would come in the world. And that we would follow that by saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we, we do thank you that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is precious in your eyes. Uh, in fact, it is the apple of your eye, and you're protecting it, and you're preserving it,
and it is the only institution that will uh, endure till the coming of Jesus Christ. And then he will gather all his people to be with himself, to spend eternity in glory. Until that time comes, you guide your people. You lead them step by step along life's way. And help us not to be stubborn, not to be like the horse or mule that do not understand your way or your will, but help us to be submissive to the divine will as you speak to us through your word, as you speak to us through providence, as you guide us through the counsel of trusted friends. So our Father, we we do thank you for how as we look back, we can see how you've led us step by step and how exciting it is uh, to have a purpose in life and to know that we want to guide us along the journey. So our Father, we we thank you for this day, uh, for uh, this month, and for this year. And we do pray that as a new day beckons, as a new year opens up before us, we will indeed live by faith in the assurance that you will step us, you, you will lead us step by step along life's journey. So our Father, accept of our worship here this evening as we have presented it through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we pray. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.